It's uh, great to be back with all of you. I, um, I get to, when I go on these long breaks, just to be able to uh, show up and come to church here whenever I'm in town. And um, this is just an awesome place to go to church. I mean, we were, we're just so blessed to have uh, great music and worship and teaching, and it's, uh, it's been awesome. And uh, now with the uh, addition of Lance to the teaching team, we're... Um, I'm personally very excited, and I hope you are too. I think it's going to be a, a, a great season for all of us. Um, I'm also excited about this new series that we're going to jump into because um, this is probably one of my favorite passages. Mm, uh, how do I say it? It's kind of one of those that there's great stuff in there that you love, and there's a lot of stuff in there that it, it's not so great because it doesn't feel so good, but... Um, this really is the first and what I would consider to be the defining sermon that Jesus preached in his short life, and it's traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, primarily because Jesus was on the side of a mountain when he was teaching it, and it's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and if you have not read those chapters, I'd encourage you to go home and read them. In fact, I'd really encourage you just to read those over and over and over again, because there's a lot in there, and we're only going to be able to scratch the surface in this series, so I'd really encourage you just to sit down and read through those uh, several times. But, um, you know, in this sermon, I, I would, um, I really think that Jesus gives us a pretty comprehensive outline of what it looks like to live the life that we were created to live, and as our creator, he gives us a glimpse into what the intent of our lives are. And, I, and I'd even go as far as to say as like, if the whole rest of the Bible got lost and we were only left with these three chapters of the Bible, I really feel like from these three chapters, we could figure out how to live and what God expects of us. And um, um, it's, it's just a great message. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. But uh, this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to throw some Greek words at you. And that's not to show off my linguistic prowess, because if those of you who know me know that I'm just fluent in a lot of languages, uh, especially the South Side language. Um, but the, the reason, I'll remind you that the reason for this is because the original manuscripts of the New Testament were written in ancient Greek called Koine Greek, and were eventually translated into English, and sometimes there just wasn't an English word that fully grasps the full picture of what the author intended. It doesn't make it inaccurate. It just um, means that there are times that's worth our time to go back to the original writing and look at that Greek so that we can get a full impact behind the intent of what was written 2,000 years ago. So there is this Greek word that appears in the New Testament that is pronounced makarios, and it's translated in our New Testament as blessed or blessed. Um, and when you go back to the original Greek, it has the idea that someone is in a fortunate position of receiving God's favor and grace. And it goes on, and it's like somebody is not just blessed, but they are supremely blessed. They have an ultimate life, and they're filled with an immense amount of joy. Makarios. It's it's an incredible word. And so, in the days and months 
Leading up to uh, Jesus' great sermon, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that when Jesus uh, comes on the scene, and we get um, good information about this in chapter 4, just prior to where we're going. In chapter 4, it says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought him all who were ill with various Diseases, those who were suffering, those who had pain, and he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan also followed him. So, as you can see, Jesus is beginning to build a group of followers that is becoming significant in number, and they're following him not only because they are drawn to his teaching against what religion had become in that day, which is the spiritual arrogance of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those, but also what he was teaching that religion should be, which is the love and grace and compassion of God. And so it was against this background that Jesus begins to teach, and thousands of people begin to gather on this mountainside from everywhere who come to the middle of nowhere because they all want to hear what this guy has to say. And so as Jesus takes his place, I really envision that it's all the worst people that are sitting right there front and center. You know, all the people that couldn't make it into the temple because the Pharisees would be like, hey, you know, you're a sinner, you're a bad person, you're not good enough, you're not getting it. People who were lost and hurting and And they're just trying to figure life out, right? They've been beat down. And so they're sitting now so close to Jesus. They could just reach out and touch him. And they all were waiting to hear what this man had to say. And so as the crowd begins to quiet, Jesus sits down and he looks into the eyes of all of these messed up people. Messed up people like you and me, by the way. And the first word out of his mouth, makarios. Jesus says, look, you want to have the secret of a great life? You want to be blessed by God to receive the favor of God? You want to be blessed and not just blessed, but supremely blessed and have the best life ever? He said, here's here's what that looks like. And as he's looking across all of these messed up people, you could just see the compassion in his eyes as he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have been beat down by this life and they're just tired. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the merciful and the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus begins to strip away all of these preconceived ideas about what a successful life looks like. Wealth and power and admiration and pride, but all of that, he says, is nothing more than an artificial existence. If you want to get down to the truth, he turns everything that we ever thought 
about what it means to have a great life upside down, and he says, Macarius looks different than this. You want a successful life? You want a supremely blessed life? Let me tell you what that looks like. And for the next three chapters, Jesus methodically begins to tell us the secret to what it means to have a great life. And he begins with this. You. You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. You. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill that's lit up cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on a stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus says, you want makarios? You want an incredible life? Then be salt and light. Let it start there. That is foundational to a great life. Salt was then, as it is now, used as a flavor enhancer. It can be used for healing and preservation and the like. And so I would describe that as adding value, right? And so in the same way that salt enriches the flavor of the food that it seasons, Jesus says that we are to live a salty life where we add value to the lives of people that we come into contact with. You see, there's two types of people in this world. Givers. And takers. And this has the idea that instead of walking through this world and grabbing everything that we can get for me, that we instead turn our experience around and we live in such a salty way that we now live to enhance the lives of other people, healing and seasoning other people's lives by the way that we live. And Jesus takes it a step further when he says, if you lose your saltiness, then what is the point of your life? What are you good for? There's no sense of purpose or meaning, and so you're just another taker in a world that's full of takers. Living a salty life means that we're living to figure out how we can best leverage what we have in our personality and our gifts and our abilities and be able to use all of that to make an impact in the greatest way possible. The philosopher Plato once said, the unexamined life isn't worth living. And I fear that there are a whole lot of us who just don't stop long enough and take stock about our lives. We get so caught up in the daily grind, day in and day out, we never just really evaluate, what is my life about? What is the point of my life? What's my purpose? When you, 
when you peel away the layers of my exterior, my superficiality, and you get down to the core of who I really am, what's driving me? Who am I really at my core? Am I living a life in a salty way that adds value to other people? Well, as Jesus goes on, he raises the bar and he says, don't just be salty. He says, live brightly. Be a light in a dark world. Now, just by the fact that he uses the metaphor there of light in darkness, I think it's obvious that he is calling us to be something different. Right? He's calling us to stand out. He isn't calling us to live life as usual. He's calling us to live counterculturally, to be abnormal in a sea of normality, to actually change the norm, to live differently, to make our life a new normal, to live an extraordinary life in a world that's all about maintaining the cultural status quo. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, do you really think he wants us to just blend in? No. Being a light means that we are exuding the love and compassion of God in a dark, ruthless world. And then he goes on in verse 16 and says, So, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds. And what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So, we are to live our lives in such a way that we do good deeds so that people look at us and think we're good people. Right? No. In the Greek, there are two words for good that are used. There is the word agathos, which means good in quality and useful. And the other word is kalos, which means the thing is not only good and useful, it's not only has a purpose, but it's pleasing and it's beautiful. And the word that is used in this passage for doing good deeds is that Greek word kalos, which means that The good deeds of a follower of Jesus must not only be good, but that when somebody sees your good deeds, they see that what you're doing is not only useful, but when they see you in that moment, they go, that is beautiful. They can tell that what we're doing is not something that we're doing begrudgingly because we have to, but because we're doing it because we want to. We have a desire to do that. The opposite is the ugliness of somebody's good deeds is when it becomes self-serving. And we turn serving around and we make it about me. We turn serving around and we make it about a sense of obligation or we're doing something out of guilt just to get people off of my back. And so we end up complaining about whatever it is that we're doing. One of the most common failures of Christians who have lost sight of the wonder of God's grace is the tendency to complain. 
Complaining and negativity is an expression of being ungrateful. We have forgotten how blessed we really are. And there is nothing worse than serving with people who complain or serving with people who just are trying to be the center of attention in that moment and making that about them. Because it sucks the joy out of what is being done and it takes the beauty out of it. It's purposeful. It's useful. They're getting the job done. It's just not beautiful. It's not the point of what God is asking from us. I would go as far as to say, if we can't serve without complaining, if we feel like we're doing something out of a sense of obligation and we get resentful about doing it, I would say, stop. Don't do it. We don't need just to fill another hole. But if we can turn that around and begin to see it in the way that God asks us to serve, with a sense of gratitude, it changes everything. Letting your light shine before men is not showing off how religious we are. Jesus hated that. It's genuinely displaying the radical love of God in our life. And there's a huge distinction between showing off our good deeds so that people around us think that we're a really good person and seeking to point other people to Jesus. Big difference. And there is this, there is this beauty, and I know you've seen it. When you see somebody who is so overwhelmed by the grace of God that they just want to serve others because they're just so grateful for what God has done for them and that they can't help but that goodness and those good deeds come out. They just want to, they just want to serve because they just want to say thank you. And that is such a beautiful thing. Living... Salty and brightly is something that should come naturally and is not something that is forced. It is born out of our natural relationship and growth in God. Because when we're saved by grace, all of a sudden our eyes open and we can see so clearly. All of a sudden everything changes because we understand That while we were a bunch of messed up sinners, all the junk in my life, my past, all the stuff that I'm ashamed of, that while I didn't deserve a thing, Jesus died for me. And I'm covered in his grace. And all you want to do is spend the rest of your life saying thank you for allowing me to live in your grace every day. You see, we're not saved by being a good person. We're not saved because we do good things. We do good things because we're saved. We're a good person because we want to live like Jesus. And when we serve like that, there is a salt and a light that exudes out of us as an expression of gratitude. And when people really get the 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 magnitude of our own sin and the depth of our sin and we get the magnitude of the grace of God, 
when we get that, we are fundamentally a greater person of joy because we wake up every day grateful. Jesus taught that spiritual growth is not about gaining more knowledge of the scriptures or being a super moral person or being a super Christian. Spiritual maturity is when we grow in our capacity to love other people. When we grow in our desire to serve other people. Spiritual growth happens when we give more, not take more. And when we commit to following Jesus down that narrow dirt path, we start living counterculturally, which means that we're always looking for opportunities to serve rather than to be served. Being salt and light gets our eyes off of me, and all of a sudden it opens up the opportunities to us, and we begin to see the the tragedies and the crisis and the pain that other people are experiencing. And when we jump in and we provide salt and light for people in their dark hours, all of a sudden, you know what happens? All of our problems become much smaller. And my eyes are no longer on me, but on what I can do to serve. I really believe that at the end of our lives, we will not regret anything we did to serve other people. The time we spent, the investment that we made. But I really believe that at the end of our lives, if we go back and rewind the tape and we listen to the excuses that we've made on why we wouldn't get involved, I was just too busy. I had too much going on. I just couldn't balance it all. I believe that we will leave this world with regrets if we give our lives to the stuff that has no meaning. I tell you, The reason why I continue to do what I do here at Westridge as a volunteer is because I love the people of this church. Because when there is a crisis that comes up, when something pops up, it is amazing, man. People are there. People jump in. They don't even ask. They jump right in and say, how can I help? And there's no sense of complaining, and there is a generous spirit spirit that occurs and. I could stand up here for an hour and just give you story after story of people who've made a difference and impact in people's lives. And, and I think the important thing is that we begin to get a different view about what serving is all about. That we can really open our eyes and understand that even the little things that we do, whether we're working in Westridge Kids, or we're a barista in the cafe, or we're serving communion. Those things are helping to facilitate people's relationship with God and making them stronger. If you're a greeter and somebody walks in on a Sunday morning who has anxiety because they haven't been to church in so long and you give them a warm smile or a hug or a hello and help them to feel the warmth of God, that's life-changing. 
There are so many opportunities that we have where we can make a difference, where we can jump in and serve, but I would just say, figure it out. Wherever it is that you serve, see yourself as salt and light in that area and make it meaningful. And I would just tell you, do not waste another moment of your life doing something out of a sense of guilt or obligation. That is a waste of time. There is absolutely no point to that. Do whatever it is that you want to do because you have a desire to do it and you can do it with a sense of joy and gratitude. And so in this series, for the next several weeks, we're just going to kind of evaluate our lives. And we're just going to ask the question, what is my life about? Am I really being salt and light to the people who are around me? Am I adding value? Am I seasoning and enhancing their lives? I can honestly tell you that the greatest moments of my life are not the ones where I had some huge achievement, but it's those moments where I was finally able to get my eyes off of me and my self-absorbed life and actually understand how I can make a difference in the lives of other people. The truth of the matter is, with every passing year, every single one of us, we give our lives to something. And the question is, what will it be for you? Will it be to build wealth? Get power? Some of us, we're just giving our lives the daily grind, not even thinking about it. We're just going through just mindlessly through this thing. In the end, what will you have given your life for? Jesus says, you want Makarios? You want to be supremely blessed? You want to have an incredible life? I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you to be a light in a dark world, to be salt in a place where you can enhance and help add value to other people's lives. And so I want to challenge everybody here this morning to just take a step to do something, anything, to begin to get into the motion of contributing back with our lives, no matter what it is. The Bible says that there will come a moment in our, at the end of our life when we will stand before God and we will have to give an account of our lives. And if you can envision standing there in front of God, looking Him in the eyes, and He asks you to give an account of your life, what is it that you're going to say? What's it look like for you? busy? We have a promise in the Bible that says that if we gave our lives to be the salt and light of this world, then on that day, we will hear the words that every Christian wants to hear in that moment, which is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come now into the place that I prepared for you from the beginning of time. 
whatever you have done, even into the least of these, you are doing it unto me. That, that is a beautiful life.